Hello, welcome to the Wharton FinTech podcast. I'm your host, Ines Gonzalez del Mazo, and today we're joined by Nitai Brand, CEO of TradeBlock, and John Todaro, Director of Research. TradeBlock is a company leader in the provision of institutional trading tools and research for digital currencies. It was founded in 2013, and it has its headquarters here in New York City. More specifically, TradeBlock provides a professional platform for institutional Bitcoin traders featuring market analytics, blockchain insights, order management, trade execution, team communication, and compliance automation. In addition, it creates and publishes a robust Bitcoin index, uniquely designed to prevent manipulation, serving as a reference rate for tens of millions of dollars of registered derivative products. And finally, it produces data services. It gives analysis on market data related to cryptocurrencies, trading, regulations, mining, protocol updates, blockchain analysis, and economic developments. But before talking about the firm, well, I would like to welcome <laughs> to Morton um, Fintech. And could you please tell us a little bit about your background and how you got interested into digital assets? Yeah, of course. Thank you for having us uh, in this. I will start off by uh, telling you about the background of the company, right, and its founders. Uh, I am not one of the original founders. The company was founded by two brothers, Greg and Jeff Schwey, and they are veterans of uh, the blockchain and Bitcoin space, so they have been involved since the very early days, right? So initially, they set out to provide very high-quality content, right? So they start this blog, which was called the Genesis Blog. And they are producing content of very high quality. Their vision was that this was going to become an asset class of its own at some point in time, and that there was going to be a very real demand for high quality data, high quality research, and eventually high quality infrastructure so that it could be adopted as such, right? So that's how the company was founded. They eventually went on to found a second company. Uh, That company is called Axani. They provide enterprise blockchain technology and distributed ledger technologies for capital markets. So my personal background is I joined the firm in 2016, the end of 2016, right after after this second company that they founded raised its Series A. My background was I had started a previous company, so it was a business intelligence company. I've always been uh, fascinated with the concept of data. My first exposure to Bitcoin and blockchain was... Around 2010, I read an article on a tech blog about Bitcoin and how essentially people were plugging in their computers to the wall and printing money, right? Which that immediately caught my attention. And I got into it then, you know, I kind of got in and out of it just in terms of interest, right? Because, you know, at the time I had other things going on, including this uh, company that I founded. So that's my background. Yeah, uh, thanks, Ines, for having us. So I, I first heard about Bitcoin uh, probably in about 2012, didn't think much of it at the time, and then fast forward about a year later, um, and I started playing around with some online sites at the time that actually required some cryptocurrencies. And so I first one of the first ones I actually bought in order to utilize was a coin called Dogecoin, which is kind of a meme coin that doesn't really exist in any functional capacity anymore. But it was really my first foray into it. And then I started getting interested in some of the concepts behind these digital currencies as payment systems, as um, even stores of wealth. That was still kind of a a narrative you heard back then. 
and so then, you know, since 2013, I've been got, gotten more more involved in the space, but I still worked in uh, traditional finance. So I worked at Citigroup for a few years, and then I left and joined Tradeblock, where I'm building out the research efforts. Uh, I've been doing that for about a year and a half now. Very good. So it's very interesting stories. So how do you see the industry right now of cryptocurrencies in general? And what is the edge that Tradeblock provides to the market, to the like, institutional investors? So what you've seen over the past uh, few years is that the industry as a whole has become uh, more sophisticated, right? So in fact, all of these processes that have been uh, traditionally used in the financial industry are now being adopted in the cryptocurrency industry, right? Which means that you're now seeing a lot of innovations around custody, around uh, compliance, around uh, trading, right? We see ourselves as a a platform that integrates with all these different solutions, right? And we provide our customers with a single place to manage all these things, right? So when our customers come to TradeBlock, they are able to access market data, they're able to access blockchain data, they're able to communicate with their counterparties in the case of uh, OTC traders. They are also able to communicate with exchanges so they can keep track of balances, transaction history across exchanges. We also have integrations with wallet providers. We have integrations with banks. So we're pulling all of this data, right, that is relevant to the industry. We're standardizing data, we're normalizing data, and we're allowing our users to manage all of that in one single place. As the industry continues to grow and all the demands of these firms are serviced by different service providers, our focus is in integrating all this into a platform they can use to manage all of it. So in a sense, you see that institutional players are going to play a bigger role in the market and they're leaning in the market. But um, one thing that like all the crypto space is very concerned is about like uh, regulatory uncertainty around digital assets in the U.S., so what are the questions that they normally raise the most? And like, why do they lean or they, they don't lean in? Look, honestly, I think that the uncertainty, regulatory uncertainty has been, hasn't really go- gone away, but it has also been present for a number of years now. I think that the reality is that nowadays, if these firms are just accepting the fact that that lack of clarity is the norm in the space. And uh, although we all look forward to further clarity and a more defined regulatory landscape, it might take some time to come, right? So I think most firms are just operating with what they have right now, and they're getting comfortable with that. And I think really their questions or their challenges around having access to infrastructure that is adequate to support their processes. Yeah, I would say just to, to add on to that, um, I mean, U.S. regulators, they've they've given us some clarity on Bitcoin and Ether, Ethereum's native token, that, that those assets aren't considered securities. But there are, you know, a number of tokens out there where we haven't quite seen that regulatory clarity on, you know, whether something's a security or not. And as Nitai was saying, I think institutions have gotten to the point now where they're kind of they understand that there's going to be a level of uncertainty, and that's probably going to persist for some time as it does take a while for these regulators to, to actually put out frameworks and um, more, you know, more documentation on, on, on these different assets and provide a, um, a more regulatory framework that, that we haven't seen in a bit. And, and just to touch on that point, you know, the fact is that just like all of us at some point ha- have had to educate ourselves on what blockchain is, what cryptocurrencies is, that is the process that 
most of these regulators are going through, right? And, and they're also discovering the challenges around having access to high-quality data, right? Understanding what all this is. And once they develop that understanding, once they figure out how they can access that data, you know, that might include working from such hours, I think once all of that is complete, right, once they have access to all of that, then we are going to start seeing more defined regulatory efforts, right? Not to say that they're not doing it. You know, in fact, we've seen them increase their capacity significantly over, over the past 18 months, yeah. but there's, it's still work in progress. Right. So we understand why right now the, the Bitcoin index is so important for everyone in the industry. But if I'm correct, you right now have 10 indices. So what was the rationale to create those others, and do you plan to create any more? Yeah, absolutely. So the rationale was to provide the same methodology, the same references for other currencies. We took that methodology that we built initially in 2014, and we applied it to other currencies, and now we're producing 10 indices. Those include Ether, Ether Classic, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, Monero, Zcash, Ripple, Stellar, and EOS. And yes, absolutely, uh, we do plan on producing more indices. You know, we always look for customer demand, right? What is important to our customers? There's also something to be said about having adequate inputs, uh, meaning is is any given asset actually being traded against the dollar in any exchanges, right? So there are some components that are fundamental for us to produce any index, but in the capacity in which those become available, we certainly build them. So you mentioned that you provided data Could you expand on what those data services are a little bit? Yeah, so we provide cryptocurrency market data and we provide blockchain network data. What we do in both cases is that we connect to, in the case of market data, to different trading venues. We consume the data that they publish, then we run it through a process to deduplicate, to cleanse all this data. Then we also normalize it, right? We, We have a standard that we use to record data across multiple trading venues And then we turn around and we provide that to our customers, right? So what that means for them is that they don't have to manage all these connections to dozens of exchanges in order to get cryptocurrency market data. They rely on us to consume high-quality market data for a number of exchanges and, and hundreds of trading pairs. And on the blockchain side of things, we do a very similar process where we run our own nodes, we connect to them, We extract data from them, we listen to real-time data, and then we standardize data across different networks, right? Which is, you know, it is quite challenging because the data structures of all of them are quite different, but we have to understand what ultimately is important to our customers. You know, often they need to know about the state of a transaction, has a balance been confirmed, have funds been sent or received across any number of blockchains, right? So we provide them with that kind of data, consolidated feeds that they can use to monitor the state of their transactions in any given blockchain. We give them access to API that they can pull at any time to inquire about balances across a number of blockchains. And in some cases, we also give them access to highly customizable and very flexible systems to query this data, right? So they have access to a fully standardized data set uh, across all of these blockchains, and then they can create very sophisticated queries to access very specific information. And uh, we just 
well, looking at the news, there's a, there's a partnership that you have with Silvergate. So could you tell us a little bit more about it and what it entails? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as I described there earlier, our platform helps our customers with uh, part of it is post-rate settlement, right? So the idea is that we are connecting to their bank accounts and providing them with real-time visibility into the state of balances. We are synchronizing transactions, bank transactions, that they use to reconcile against their crypto transactions, right? So if they are buying or selling from counterparties, they can assign a bank wire, uh, or in the case of Silvergate, an internal transaction to their trades, right? So it helps them manage their workflows. It creates a lot of efficiencies because now they don't have to operate to process independently and reconcile them manually. Very good. And uh, we can see that there is a lot of innovations happening in this space. So are you particularly excited for any specific one? So for me, I think one area of the space that's that's getting a lot of traction is pretty interesting right now is DeFi, this whole decentralized finance paradigm and also stable coins within those. And so digital currencies, there's still quite a lot of volatility in them. And so what stable coins do is they're pegged to, in some cases, fiat currencies, such as the U.S. dollar, where they can limit some of that volatility that's in other digital currencies. And it, it can make certain business practices, B2B transfers, um, more efficient and less volatile than if you were transacting in digital currencies. So that's area that I, I think we're seeing some growth in, and it's quite interesting. And then decentralized finance, what I think is interesting about that is with interest rates the way they are, there's been kind of a need throughout all financial markets, this search of yield, to find some yield-bearing instrument. And so with, De- and with DeFi, we're now seeing digital currencies where you can kind of get a yield off some of these assets. So there's something called staking where you can take proof-of-stake currencies and you can run certain processes. And in doing so, the blockchain network will pay you rewards. And so some of that is just inflation from a blockchain's native currency that they'll pay you those tokens. Others could be, you know, fees from the network that you receive. And so these can vary. Some, it's, you know, it's minuscule, maybe it's 2% per year. Others, it could be 7 10 15%. You're seeing now a number of custody providers and exchanges roll out platforms that incorporate staking. And so I think that that's one area that we've seen some innovation where we've kind of blended this traditional finance with digital currencies, with blockchain networks to provide investors in this space some yield. And it's quite interesting, and we've seen a lot of growth in that over time. The amount of assets that have been locked in these staking platforms over time has continued to grow. So that, that's an area that I'm, I'm pretty excited about. Very good. So, well, this is the end of the podcast, but like, thank you very much. It sounds like your company is doing an amazing job and in a very exciting industry. So we look forward to hearing more from you and doing like through news and like through other, other podcasts, maybe. Yeah, of course. Thank yeah, you. of course. Thank you very much for having us. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it.